Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. Just briefly for a moment, I do want to remind you uh, that when we have come to this passage uh, over the last ten times that we have nine times previous to tonight that we've come to this passage, uh, we've been considering the subject, some things the Savior wants secret. And uh, we have uh, looked at how this passage of Scripture talks about there are simply some things that every child of God should have uh, incorporated in their their life by way of being a spiritually disciplined child of God uh, that should these things should be in our life and they uh, please the Lord when they are in our life and the Bible even promises God promises that he will reward us for having these things incorporated in our life. We spent the first part of the, of the series dealing with verse 1 through 4 and considering how the Lord says that He wants our uh, He wants our sharing to uh, be secret. In other words, our giving, our alms giving, verse one through four. And so we dealt with some principles concerning giving and what the Bible says about that. And then in verse five through fifteen, we talked about how the Lord wants our supplicating to be secret, our prayer life, if you will. And we dealt with the phrases of verse one, or excuse me, verse five through fifteen, and we preached that. And then we have been, uh, the last couple of messages we've been in verse 16 and uh, between verse 16 and verse number 18 there were three thoughts concerning this spiritual discipline of fasting that uh, the Lord impressed upon me that I have been uh, hopefully impressing upon you. Amen. And uh, the very first one is the one that we've been dealing with even up to this evening and that is that fasting is in important. The Bible says here that in verse number 16 when the Lord introduces this third spiritual discipline that is this third thing that the Savior wants secret he says in verse 16 moreover when ye fast. And then in verse number 17 he echoes those words again but thou when thou fastest. Amen. In other words, he is taking for granted the fact that if you are a child of God and you want to please the Lord, this will be something that is involved in your life. And I'll be honest with you. Again, I say uh, preaching on fasting is uh, not necessarily the most enjoyable thing I've ever done. And here's the reason why. The more I learn about the subject, the more I'm responsible for. Amen to put into practice in my everyday life. Amen. At least in my weekly life and monthly life. Amen. And uh, the Lord, I, I, can, I can honestly say this, every time I've preached on this passage I have practiced what I've preached. Amen. And I can honestly say that before this congregation and before the Lord. And it has been a joy. And it doesn't seem like it would be. Uh, but it has been a joy to uh, let the Lord speak to me through His Word and then put into practice that which I've learned. Amen. And I hope the more you learn, the more I know, the more you'll be responsible for. And the more you're responsible for, you will too enjoy this blessed spirit discipline that the Lord so speaks to us of many times in His Word. So fasting is important and we have talked about that and then uh, there will be some other things that I'll mention uh, maybe even Lord willing this evening if the Lord will help us and allow us to get that far but just want to follow Him and not overload you this evening. Amen. But I want us to uh, turn to Acts chapter number 13 and I have two thoughts I want to bring out of that passage in Acts 13. 
seen uh, this evening. But before I do, we've considered over the last several weeks about fasting being important, and uh, many of you have probably taken notes on these, but we've seen in Judges 20 and verse number 26 that fasting is important in battles. In 1 Samuel 7, 6, Nehemiah 1, 4, and Daniel 9, 1 through 19, we've seen that fasting is important when it comes to confessing our sins. In 2 Samuel 1, 12, we saw that fasting is important when it comes to grieving a major loss in our life. In 2 Samuel 12, 16 through 23, we saw that fasting is important when it comes to tragic times of desperation. In Acts chapter, excuse me, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 3, we saw that fasting is important when our nation is in trouble. In Nehemiah 9 and verse 1 through 3, we've seen that fasting is important when we want to worship God. In uh, Psalm 35 and verse 13 and 14, we saw that fasting is important when we need to pray for a friend. In Ezra chapter 8 and verse 21, we saw that fasting is important when we need God's direction for an area in our life. In the book of Esther chapter number 4 and verse number 3 and in verse number 11 through 16 of the same chapter, we saw that fasting is important when we need God to give us favor. In Matthew chapter number 4, this was the last time we were in this passage of Scripture. In Matthew chapter number 4 and verse number 2, we saw that fasting is important when we want to follow the example of the Lord Jesus because Jesus was a man who made a common and usual practice of fasting in his physical life on this this planet. In Matthew chapter number 4 and verse number 2, additionally, we saw that fasting is important when we want to be spiritually prepared for times of temptation. And then in Matthew chapter number 17 and in verse number 21, we saw that fasting is important when we want to have, when we want to possess mountain moving faith. Amen. And so we have seen those things in this passage of Scripture. Amen. Now I want to submit to you this this evening out of Acts chapter number 13 and in particular verse number 2 that fasting is important when you want the Holy Ghost of God to speak to you. Notice what the Bible here says in verse number 1. And by the way, I'll say this. I don't think there's anybody in this church that would say, you know what, preacher? I'm not interested in the Spirit of God speaking to me. I would say that most of you in here, especially all of you that uh, claim to be saved and know that you're saved and want to have a close relationship with the Lord, you say, Preacher, I want to be uh, spoken to by the Spirit of God. I want the Spirit of God to direct my life. Here, the Bible tells us specifically the ways in which God begins through His Spirit to speak to us. Amen. And uh, this is not the only way. But it is uh, one. I do believe if there is any of the ways, amen, that that precipitates the Lord speaking into our lives, if there is any one thing that is neglected, it is probably this particular aspect of how the Spirit of God speaks to us. Amen. Notice what the Bible here says in verse number one. Now there were in the church. Now notice that phrase. We are now in the scene of this text in the midst of a local church who uh, makes up the church. Christians do. Saved people do. Amen. And by the way, if you are saved and you make up the church, and not just make up the universal, if I can use that term, church, uh, the church of the living God, the body of Christ. Amen. This is not just the church in terms of a a, uh, group of uh, saved people. But this is a local church. This is a congregation just like this one that we come to in the text. Notice he says there was in the church that was at Antioch. In other words, God here just identified a location in which a church was founded. 
In other words, this would be uh, for you and I, a church that is in Lexington. This was their area. That's this local church of people who belonged to the Antiochian local church. The Bible says there were there certain prophets. And by the way, do not let that word scare you because the word of prophets appears in the New Testament of your Bible. Can I tell you this? And I don't say this uh, braggadociously or trying to uh, pin roses upon my back, but I will say this. Do you know that according to the New Testament of your Bible that you're, that you're looking at a prophet this evening? When Brother Lewis comes and stands in this pulpit and preaches you the Word of God, he is a prophet. When Dr. Caldwell comes and preaches in this pulpit to you, he is a prophet that is preaching to you. The prophets of the Old Testament were foretelling prophets that God had given the ability to foretell the future, to talk about events that had not taken place yet. But in the New Testament dispensation, God no longer has foretelling prophets. That's why he's given us a Bible. This is all we need to tell the future. Amen. Just believe what this book says about the things that are to come. But when you hear someone, whether it's a preacher or a Sunday school teacher, open up the Word of God and tell you what thus saith the Lord, you're not listening to a foretelling preacher, but you are listening to a forth-telling prophet. Amen, man. Not a foretelling prophet, a forth telling prophet. All of the words of Scripture are prophecy. Amen. It does not mean that uh, they are all future events, but the Bible, does the Bible not say that in His Word we have a more sure word of prophecy? prophecy. Amen. This book, you know what prophecy is? Something that's issued from the Lord. God has spoken. God has declared. And so his Bible is a word of prophecy for us. Amen. It is a more sure word of prophecy. So when this passage speaks about the prophets, amen, he's simply talking about his ministers in the church. Those who will take his word and share his word with others. He says now, verse number one, there was in the church a local church, amen, just like this one tonight, that was at Antioch, certain prophets and teachers, and then he named some of them as Barnabas. Anybody in here ever heard of Barnabas? Amen. Yeah. And Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and, and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Anybody in here tonight ever heard of Saul? Amen. This Saul, by the way, is the one who would write the very next book that appears in the canon of Scripture, the book of Romans. Amen. This is the Apostle Paul being mentioned here by his original name, Saul. Verse number 2, notice this, this phrase here, as these prophets and these teachers, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, notice these words, the Holy Ghost said. So in other words, you have these individuals that are members of a local New Testament church that have been caught, that have been uh, gifted by God to be God's preachers and God's teachers in that local church body, and they are actively involved in ministry, and not just ministry, but the Bible specifically says that it is a ministry that is directed to the Lord. I read where one person said, uh, David Guzik said this about that word minister. He said that these men were doing what pleased the Lord and honored him. Whatever these acts of ministry are, it was to the Lord. Amen. And by the way, if you can minister to the Lord and that ministry is directed at him, I, I can promise you he'll be pleased with what you're doing. Amen. A good rule of thumb to rule your Christian life is can I do this 
and honor God with it. Can I do this and God be pleased with my life? If you can't do what you're doing and still be right with God, if you can't do what you're doing and still honor the Lord with it, amen, you probably shouldn't be doing it. Can I get an amen when I say that tonight? Amen. I believe that's true. Amen. God has salvaged my life from me wrecking my testimony and ruining my life by that simple question. Can I still, can I do this and still be right with God? Can I do this and still have his hand upon my life? Can I do this and God still use me to serve him? I no doubt these people, whatever this act, these acts of ministry were, the Bible does not say. It just says they collectively, amen, as a group ministered to the Lord. No doubt they're doing something that pleases the Lord, amen. Uh, Albert Barnes said that he uh, believed that this is speaking of prayer and divine service. And one of the reasons why Albert Barnes said that he believed that it was speaking of prayer and divine service is because throughout the scriptures when the phrase ministered to the Lord is used, it is being used to speak. And it is being used in association uh, with the temple and with the service of the temple uh, in the, in the uh, particular realm of the priests and the Levites as they ministered to the Lord in their service in the house of God. A, a service for the Lord. A divine service. A working in God's house and ministering by intercession and prayer. Amen. And so uh, we I don't know whether either one of those men are true. I have a tendency to just think that both of them are, uh, are right. Amen. That it's something that pleases the Lord and it's some form of divine service no doubt also uh, in, in uh, being uh, done through uh, the leadership and the power of a close prayer life. Amen. I do believe that as uh, this Bible here talks about ministry to the Lord, we cannot mistake that there is something that in the next couple of words that this passage adds to their ministering to the Lord, and that is this spiritual discipline that we introduced in Matthew chapter number 6 and verse 16 of fasting. They did not hear the Spirit of God speak to them only when they ministered to the Lord. But it is when they ministered to the Lord and fasted. It, not when just when they fasted, but it was when they ministered to the Lord and fasted. Can I say this this evening? There are some things that you will not uh, get out of your walk with God and your Christian life if you keep only uh, utilizing one of these two things. There are some people to where fasting does not bother them. But it's this idea of Christian service having to go above themselves and outside of what they normally want to do and above their own selfishness and self-centeredness to serve somebody else. They don't want to be someone that is concerned with others. They don't want to be serving someone else. They're okay with uh, fasting because not only can they claim it as a spiritual discipline, but it may also be better for them health-wise. There's a lot of people that don't like to serve. And then there's some people who don't mind serving the Lord, but they just, they're not going to give up their meals. They're not going to give up some kind of area in their life. That whole idea of self-denial, that's not something they're interested in. Can I say this? We have a God tonight that is worthy of both. He's worthy of my service, and He's worthy every once in a while of me denying myself of something that my flesh craves. Amen. Just to honor Him and to draw close to Him and to have His power upon my life. Amen. I'd say He's worthy of it this evening. If He was willing to go to Calvary for me and to today in eternal life, amen, in glory to ever live to make intercession.
intercession for me, I'd say he's worthy of my service and he's worthy of my self-denial. Amen. Should we not offer those things to him? I believe this church was so blessed of the Lord. Amen. Because these individuals were willing to incorporate and in their life. Not just ministering to the Lord, but ministering to the Lord and fasting. And the Bible said when they did both, the Holy Ghost said. And here's what he said, verse 2, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I've called them. In other words, and we'll read this in verse number 3, but God here has requested of them, and more than request, has commanded of them that it's time to have an ordination service. As I've preached to you before, there's sometimes that God wants people to come into a church and join a church and stay and minister in that church. But then there's times that God will bring people to a church and let them serve there for some time. But then it is God's will for God to send them out of that church to do something somewhere else for His honor and His glory. This past week we uh, saw uh, eight individuals either in person or one of which by a video presentation from the other side of the world of people that God has called to send out of their local churches and use them. When the Holy Ghost of God spoke in this passage of Scripture, He says it's time to start sending folks into his harvest field. Amen. He, ordained, he, he names here Barnabas and Saul or the, 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 the gentleman we know as the Apostle Paul. He said, I've called them to do a work and now their time of preparation is concluded. They are ready to go do the work that I've called them to do and now it's time for you to send them to do the work. And by the way, can I say this? When it comes to ordination, that's not a denomination's job. That's not, a, that's not a denominational convention's job. That's not a, an organization's job. Amen. Ordination and sending of an individual. Amen. Even all these missionaries that we've had come through. Can I tell you as a pastor of this church, I'm interested in missionaries that not only have a mission board, but they have a local church. Amen. Sending them out is not the job of the mission board. I would even go as far as saying this, sending them out is not the job of their supporting churches. Sending them out is the duty and the responsibility of their local church body. If there's going to be any preachers that come out of Beacon Baptist Church and that we lay hands on and we ordain to the ministry and send them out to do something, they will go and do what they did or what they're going to do under the authority of this local church. God declared it in His Word, and that's just the truth of the matter tonight. Amen. Ordination is a privilege of the local church. It is a duty of the local church, amen, to see people train in the things of God and then as God calls and God leads, amen, ordain them and send them out into the Lord's harvest field to do what He has called them to do. But when they, here, here's what I want you to see tonight, when they fasted, the Spirit of God spoke to them. Spoke to them specifically. Spoke to the church specifically. Amen. The Bible uses the word they, which means Barnabas was ministering and fasting. It means that Simeon was ministering and fasting. It means that Lucius was, uh, was uh, uh, ministering and fasting. It means that, uh, that, means that uh, Manian was ministering and fasting. Amen. It means that Saul was ministering and fasting. I wonder how God would speak to us as a collective church body if everybody was engaged in God's ministry. And then everybody was engaged in the spiritual disciplines that God uh, takes for granted that His children will be a part of. Prayer, fasting, and giving. 
Here the Bible speaks about fasting and the Spirit of God speaking to the church as a whole and speaks to them specifically concerning the next step of their ministry. If we are to ever know the next steps for Beacon Baptist Church, I believe we, we all collectively need to be unified in our ministry and unified in being spiritually disciplined, especially in this area of fasting. God blesses it. We saw last week, Matthew 17, 21, this kind, talking about mountain moving faith, talking about demon casting out power, power that strong from God. This kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. We're missing out. We have a missing element in our churches. Fasting is a missing element in our churches as a whole, I'd say tonight. When you want the Spirit of God to speak to you, fasting is important. But then also out of this passage in Acts 13, I want to say that fasting is important when we need to send people out of the church to serve God in the ministry. Notice here, it was not until they had ministered to the Lord. They were already serving in their local church, ministering to their community and then also fasting and being a person of spiritual discipline before the Lord ever said, separate me from the local church and its ministry. Separate these two men. Separate Barnabas and Saul to do the work that I've called them to do. Can I say this this evening? Beacon Baptist Church, just like this church at Antioch, we have a ministry that God has called this church to do. Amen. By the way, that's one, of, that's one of the reasons why, amen, if, if the church is growing but the ministries aren't growing, that's one of the reasons why they're not. It's because the church has to be unified and working together and ministering to the Lord for the ministry to go forth. There is a congregational ministry that God has, but then there is times where from the individuals in a local church engaged in the congregational ministry and taking a part in the congregational ministry and being a spiritually disciplined person and walking with the Lord and doing what God would have for us to do, there will be a time in the ministry of every church where the Holy Spirit of God will speak and say there's someone or someone's, amen, in that congregation that I need to be separated from the congregation and sent out to do a work for God. And would you not love to see this place be a place where we don't just have people coming in, but we're sending people out? Yeah. Wouldn't you love... <clears throat> For in one of our near in the future missions conferences, for us to be able to let one of our own stand up and say, God has called me to go to this field and labor for the Lord, and I'm here in this missions conference, in this missions revival, letting you know what God's called me to do or me and my family to do, and for this church to be able to say that we as a congregation are going to financially be partnered with a missionary of our own that went to church here and served here, was discipled here and was used in this ministry but the Spirit of God spoke and the Spirit of God said separate me brother so and so amen or sister so and so for the work that I've called them to do amen if we become a church that ministers to the Lord collectively and is unified in our spiritual discipline of fasting no doubt amen as God's word as God's word says here the Spirit of God will speak and we'll call a man and when God does we'll have the privilege of ordaining and sending people to do the work of God. Look here at verse number 3. Verse 2 said and as they ministered to the Lord and fashioned the Holy Spirit said separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I've called them. Verse 3 and when they had fasted and prayed isn't it interesting they were serving and fasting, and the Spirit of God spoke. 
And then in verse number 3, And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Just because the Holy Spirit spoke did not mean that their fasting stopped. Here the Bible says they're serving and fasting. And then at some other period of time before the Barnabas and Saul are ordained and sent out, they're still fasting. But now instead of ministering and fasting, they are also fasting and praying. You say, preacher, what are they praying for? I have a feeling that they're praying for those that they're about to send out. They're praying for those that they're ordaining to the gospel ministry. They're praying for the success of their ministry through the enabling of the Spirit of God. They're praying that as these individuals go out, and by the way, in this passage of Scripture, uh, it's not necessarily the most popular thing to be a Christian. Just a few chapters before, about, about seven, eight chapters before this, in Acts chapter number 5, they were told, they were beaten for talking about the, in the name of the Lord, that the, the apostles were beaten for speaking in the name of the Lord, and they were told by the government of their day, do not speak in His name anymore. And in Acts chapter number 5, I'd say they had the right response. They told the government of their day, you say that we can't speak in the name of Jesus anymore. And we, say, we, we tell you that it's better to obey God rather than men. Right. In other words, they said, I'm not going to stop speaking in the name of Jesus. I can't stop telling people about who He is and what He's done for me. God has called me to do that, and you can't tell me to stop. Amen. Yeah. So it's not, it wasn't the most popular thing to be a Christian and to speak in the name of Jesus. They were being commanded not to do it. But yet here in this passage, they're sending out some of their own. Some folks in their own congregation that no doubt they've served with and loved and prayed with and, and fellowshiped with. And now they're about to enter into a hostile uh, ministry where the government of the day doesn't want them doing what they're doing. But God has called them to do it. Amen. This church is praying for them and fasting for them. For God to use them and do a great and mighty work through them. That's verse 3. Look at verse 4. So they... After the ministering and fasting of verse 2, after the prayer and fasting of verse 3, the Bible said, So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, speaking about Paul and Barnabas here, departed in the solution. And from thence they sailed to Cyprus, and when they were at Salamis. So they're going from place to place. And in verse number 5 it says, They preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they, also had, and they had also John to their ministry. So God through the power of fasting, uh, through, uh, through the power of fasting calls these men and tells this church to separate them and then sends them because of this spiritual discipline. So I would say when it comes to New Testament church ministry, fasting is important. Amen. Now go with me to Acts chapter number 14 tonight. Acts chapter number 14. Look at this passage of Scripture, Acts, Acts chapter number 14 and verse number 20 is, well, is where we'll begin. Isn't it amazing? I'll just say this, and I was amazed as I was, as I was studying these thoughts, how the Lord has plugged these thoughts into our missions month. We've just been preaching on fasting and other spiritual disciplines, and God just settles us right here in our missions month. God calling people. God sending out servants and people that are workers in the local church. Now look at Acts 14. No doubt this ties in with our missions month and our missions themes. Look at Acts chapter 14 verse 20. How be it? By the way, this is right after Paul is stoned at Lystra and left for dead. Verse 20 says, How be it? As the disciples stood about him, stood about Paul, as he had just been stoned and left for dead, the disciples stood round about him, said that Paul rose up. He rose up and came into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. If there's anything that verse 20 tells me is that Paul was the kind of Christian that wasn't going to let anything stop him from serving the Lord. If something's going to stop you or stop me, I have a feeling stoning might be at the top of the list. But here in this passage, he was stoned. Then the Bible says he got up and he just went into the next city. Amen. Just kept on going. Amen. I can almost see Paul, amen, say, man, that was unfortunate, and dust himself off and just go straight in the next city and serve in the Lord. 
Can I say this? That's the kind of Christianity we need in our lives. That's the kind of Christian we need to be. That's the kind of servant that the Lord wants us to be. Amen. Look at verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city, speaking about Derby, and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra. I don't know if I was Paul, if I'd be interested in going back to the place where they just tried to stone me. Not only did they try, but they did, and they left him for dead. The Bible said there in verse number 19 that they supposed that he had been dead. They thought they did. So, and by the way, when it comes to, when it comes to stoning, they're not, they're, they're not just throwing little pebbles. They're throwing borderline boulders. And they're aiming for your head and your heart and your, the most vital parts of your body. Whatever place they can hit that will stop your heart or end your life, that's what they're aiming for. They did this to the Apostle Paul, and they did it so well that they, ju they just supposed that they had, all, they, they had killed him. That they had done their job. Here the Bible said they preached the gospel in Derby, That place where he dusted himself off and just went into the next town. He preached Christ there. He preached the gospel there. And he taught many there. And then after he went there, he went right back to where they tried to stone him. I'd say that's Holy Ghost boldness. And then he went to Iconium. And then he went to Antioch. And notice what the Bible says they did here in Antioch. Confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of heaven. Verse 23, and when they had ordained them elders in every church. So understand the picture here. Paul has been stoned and left for dead. He does himself off. He goes to the next place that God would have for him to go in ministering the gospel. He gets to Derby. He preaches the gospel. He teaches folks there. No doubt souls are saved. They go back to Lystra where they just tried to stone him. And then he moves on to Iconium and to Antioch. And while they are in those places, what do they do? Doing. They are confirming the souls of the disciples. In other words, when it comes to, uh, when it talks about them, uh, them, uh, them uh, confirming the souls of the disciples, in other words, what they are doing is they are checking on those that they know have been born again. They, they are strengthening them. They are encouraging them in their faith that they are, uh, they are, uh, disciples. Amen. The Bible says that they're confirming the souls of the disciples. They are called disciples. Why? Because they have been discipled. They have been taken, in other words, from the moment of their salvation where they are introduced to the truth and introduced to the faith. And then they have been taught uh, in ways from God's Word that they have been grown in their faith. They've been discipled. They have been given enough truth to where they are advancing in their knowledge of God and their knowledge of themselves as a Christian and what God expects for them and how they can serve the Lord. The God here, uh, God here has some now some new disciples in these areas because they have continued in their ministry and not quit. And the Bible says that as they have preached the gospel, verse 21, as they've taught many in verse 21, as they have confirmed or strengthened their converts, as they have encouraged their converts. That's what the word exhort there means in the passage in verse 22, confirming the souls of the, of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. He is encouraging them, don't stop now, keep on going, and could you you imagine what the, the way that Paul could have preached that message? Keep going. Don't let anything stop you. Serve the Lord. I know it's early in your faith. I know the world doesn't like it. I know there's plenty of places. If you look for a getting off place, you could probably find one. But keep on going. Keep on serving the Lord. That's what they're doing in these cities. Amen. And the Bible says that in, as they're doing that in these cities, notice what verse 23 that they're doing. And when they had ordained them elders or pastors in every church 
and had prayed, notice these two words, with fasting. They commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. You know what they're doing here in Acts chapter 14, verse 20, all the way through verse number 28, and we didn't read down that far, but all the way through verse 28, you know what they're doing? They're simply doing the work of the Great Commission. You remember what the Great Commission to told us? Jesus, one of the last things that he said before he went back to heaven to sit at the right hand of God, do you remember what he told his disciples? He said, Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And he told us, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. We are to preach the gospel. We are to baptize. And then he told us that we are to disciple everyone that we See converted. Is that not what the Bible says? Matthew chapter number 28, Mark chapter number 16. Is that not what the Bible says? Amen. We are to preach the gospel. We're to see folks saved. We're to baptize them in the name of the Lord. And then we are to take our converts and we are to see them grow in their faith. We're to disciple them. Amen. That is the work of the Great Commission. That is the work of a Bible-believing New Testament church. That's what we've been called to do. That's the service that the Lord entrusted us with when He left and went back to heaven at His ascension. So we come to this passage. That's all we see this church doing. That's all we see Paul doing and those laboring with him. We see them preaching the gospel. We see them teaching the, the Word of God. We see them seeing folks saved and seeing folks discipled. Amen. So here well, you say, preacher, this passage mentions fasting and we're talking about fasting being important. What does this passage tell us? It tells us that fasting is important when you're doing the work of the Great Commission. They're actively involved in the Lord's work of winning souls and baptizing and discipling converts. And while they're in the middle of that, they are starting churches. They're ordaining pastors in those churches to lead and shepherd that flock. And while they're doing all of that, the Bible says they're praying with fasting. Can I say this? The work of the Great Commission is too important to just pray. The work of the Great Commission is so important we probably should put some extra feet on our prayers and let God know how important His work is to us. The most important thing you'll ever do is be engaged in the Great Commission. The most important thing you'll ever do in your life is to be a personal missionary. This is Missions Month around here. We ought to be, and I was amazed how God just tied these things together. Amen. But, but the Great Commission should be important to us. It should be important enough that you should be so important enough if you're going to be God's missionary, amen, to Lexington County and everywhere you go, amen, it ought, it ought to be important enough for you. You're willing to let go of a meal. You're willing to let go of a certain kind of drink you love. You're willing to deny self in some way. And we'll see before we're done, as I've said before, there's more ways to fast than just food and drink. If you go... <laughs> This is going to be real popular preaching. I'm not going to hold you much longer tonight to deal with this. But this will be real popular preaching. Nobody, nobody in here probably is too interested in me preaching on the kind of fasting that you find in 1 Corinthians 7, 5. Let me put it this way. 1 Corinthians 7, 5 is a marriage chapter of the Apostle Paul, and Paul doesn't hold anything back. What can you fast in your marriage? Well, you can fast intimacy in your marriage. And the Bible, did you know the Apostle Paul gives instructions on how you can fast that particular part of your marriage? The Bible says there are spiritual benefits to fasting that part of your marriage as long as you do it for a time and you do it with your spouse's consent. We'll see that before we're done with this. But there is a lot in this Bible about denying self. You know why the Bible speaks so much about denying self? It's because God realizes how obsessed we are with self. You know, you know, and I, I know we say that the Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added. Do you know why God had to tell us to seek first the kingdom of God? It's because He knew that if He didn't tell us, we would never do it. That's right. That's right. 
Why would God tell us to put Him first? It's because God knows who we always put first. You say, preacher, who do I put first? Go with me to Ephesians 5. This isn't part of the message, but go with me to Ephesians 5. And I'm going to I'm have to be done here this evening. I forgot to start my timer, so I don't have a clue how long I've been up here. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> it could be. 57 minutes feels like 15 when you're up here. Amen. And then after all the guest preachers I've had recently, I'm ready to preach tonight. I'm telling you. Amen. Ephesians 5. Look, look with me at verse number. This wasn't part of the message, so I've got to figure out where it is. Amen. Let's, let's, look at, let's look at verse 25. I'll just read until we find it. Amen. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So in other words, Christ loved something more than he loved himself. Is that not what that passage says? Verse 26, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it, speaking about, uh, speaking about the church, that he might present it, the bride of Christ, to himself, a glorious church. Not having a spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Look at verse 28. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. Does it seem like the Lord thinks that men love themselves a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. He says, husbands, you ought to love your wife the way you love yourself. He said, he that loveth his wife loveth himself. God says this, and I'm not preaching on marriage tonight, but I do think this is some good preaching for the day that we live in. God says, gentlemen, if you as husbands really want to love yourself, love your wife like you love yourself. And that is a way that you can show yourself how much you love yourself. Amen and amen. Verse 29. He says, notice this, here's the phrase, here's, here's the verse I was looking for. Here's what God says about us. And I'd say God knows us pretty well, don't you? For no man ever yet hateth his own flesh. I hear a lot of folks say, you know, I just hate myself. Not according to the Bible, you don't. I've had people tell me, oh, I hate, I hate myself. It's like, okay, stub your toe and see how happy you are about what just happened to yourself. Let somebody cut you off in traffic and almost hit the front of your car and see how worried you were about yourself. Let some, let some hacker come in and steal every dollar you've got in your bank account and see how interested you are in taking care of yourself with what you have. You'll, you'll find out very quickly, if you'd get real honest, how much we really do care about ourselves. God says this, he says, For no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. He's, here's, here's what he says. He says, you know what we as, he said God, God declares that he knows that we as human beings, we're going to nourish our flesh. We're going to give it food. We're going to sustain ourselves. And more than that, we're going to cherish ourselves. We don't want any bad things to come into our way. We don't want, amen. That's one of the reasons why fasting is so important. You're going to nourish yourself, amen, and you're going to cherish yourself. You know, I don't want my stomach to growl. Brother Dean McNeese says that goes away after about the third day. He says, if you can get through the third or fourth day, he says, you'll, he's, and he, the only person I know that's done a 40-day fast, he said, if you can get past the third day, you won't worry about that anymore. Because your, your body will begin to accept the fact that you're denying it of what it wants. And that's one of the reasons why it can be so dangerous for folks that or in other, you know, other countries and things that they don't have the, 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 uh, re the nourishment as readily available as we do because your body will stop talking to you eventually and screaming out for what it wants. It will submit to what you're forcing it to do eventually. But we're going to take care of ourselves. We cherish our bodies. That's one of the reasons why it's so hard to deny ourselves. When we consider fasting, and I'm, I'm going to be done. I, I've got more to say there. But this, these, these churches, and I, I know I'm, I'm stopping in the middle of a thought, but these churches that we've looked at and these individuals that we've looked at, they've realized that there's something that a child of God has been called to be a part of.
There is a great commission. There is a mission from headquarters in heaven that is important enough for us to be involved in. That, that being in the middle of God's service is not enough. Being someone that has a prayer life is not enough to really give you that which you need to be involved in the most, in the most intimate way in the Great Commission. The ministry, the serving, that can be that needs to be coupled with self-denial. The prayer life and praying and getting a hold of God, that is that that is intensified by self-denial and fasting. And God you say, why does God put such an emphasis? You would think by looking at our churches that there's not a Baptist in the world that realizes what an emphasis God puts on fasting. That's one of the reasons why I felt led to spend service after service just highlighting some of these things. Because it will benefit us. It completes the package of what God de desires from His children if they're going to serve Him, if they're going to have His power, if they're going to have His touch, if they're going to be led by Him, if the Spirit of God's going to be speaking to them, if the Spirit of God is going to let their church services be more than just services and let the ministry of their local New Testament church be more than just a social gathering but let it be a training center for people to get filled with the saved by the grace of God baptized and discipled and then, uh, and then called by God and empowered by God and led by God to be sent out and to be ambassadors in another place that are under the authority of this local church and do a work for him. He knows that that is necessary for that to be done the way that he wants it to be, to be done with this kind of power. Because fasting is important. And the reason why it is important is because the more we do it, and the more we give ourselves to it, the less of us is involved in what we're doing for the Lord. You know why this week it was probably so hard for some of us to write down the number on that faith promise card that we wrote down? If you exercised any faith, you wrote down a number that it would take God, as I tried to do, a number that God's going to have to make this happen. You know why that was so hard? It's because self was involved. You know why it's so hard to pass out a track a lot of times to someone that you never met? It's because we let self get involved. You know why it's so hard to do anything spiritual, anything that God wants us to do? Because self has too much of a hold in our life. When you begin this spiritual discipline, I called it self-denial for a reason. It's God's getting us out of the way. And when we submit to Him and self gets out of the way, too many times self's in the driver's seat of everything we do. When we, let, when we get self out of the way, now God can do what He wants to do. And God will empower someone and will use someone that removes themselves from the equation and let God have full sway in their life. That's what this passage is speaking to me. That's what it tells me in Missions Month. That's what it tells me in this study of fasting and self-denial. It's important. Amen. Jesus said, when ye fast. In other words, Jesus said, I know you're doing this. I know you need to be. And I believe he is letting us know that we need to be as well. And uh, that's my message for tonight. I know it's been several messages in a message. But I, but I hope somehow in some way the Spirit of God has spoke to your heart. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com. Okay.